While this podcast will cover information about how to access therapy and other mental health services, it is not intended to be a substitute for said services. This podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. If you feel you are in need of mental health assistance, please seek out licensed professional care in your area. that type of therapy podcast. Hey everybody, it is Mental Health Quest. Um, this is our episode on therapeutically applied role-playing games. Um, I am Charlene McPherson, LCSWC. And I am Benjamin Tetz, Registered Psychological Associate and Psychology Doctoral Candidate. Woo! Um, again, this is our second uh, episode in our treatment series, where we are going to be covering different types of treatment for mental illness that work best with each one of the uh, diagnoses that we talked about in the series before. So this, that's what we are doing today. And today, we have a very special guest. <laughs> like, it took hours of negotiating to get this person to come onto our show. <laughs> uh, I was on the phone with, like, big wig people and everything like that. They made me feel really insignificant. You know, mm -hmm. there were lawyers involved. <laughs> I can't keep this going on. <laughs> our special guest today, everyone, is Charlene. So we uh, are doing this awesome episode on therapeutically applied role-playing games because that is literally what Charlene does for a living. Yes, um, I do. And so we thought what a perfect way to kind of tr continue on from our discussion about superhero therapy and geek therapy from our last episode uh, in this series and kind of go into another geeky thing, which <laughs> is... Role-playing games, more specifically, yes. what game do you play? Oh, more specifically, um, <laughs> uh, role-playing games. So games like Dungeons and Dragons. Um, there are a few other games that I'm trying to going to integrate as well as I learn them, but mostly role-playing games. Awesome. I I I, I was I had only ever played D and D one time. Mm -hmm. uh, it was literally the week uh, before we went into lockdown. Like, oh, it was geez. like four days before. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, mm -hmm. I got a nat 20 on my first roll. Oh, my Everyone's, goodness. I, I did not know at the time what that meant. Um, <laughs> and people started screaming, and I freaked out. I'm like, oh, my God, what did I do wrong? <laughs> Everyone started, like, cheering, and I was like, yay. <laughs> So for, for our listeners, what does a nat 20 mean? Uh, a nat 20 means that uh, you roll the highest number you can on the dice, which is like an automatic success. Um, and so it's the best number you can roll. And so when it happens, and of course, you know, it's only one dice on a 20-sided dice or one part on a 20-sided dice. So probability, you know, says you're not going to roll it that often. 
Um, so when you do, it's really, really fun um, to kind of see what happens. Yeah, it, it definitely was a lot of fun. Um, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember. My character was a was a paladin. Mm -hmm. um, it was like a pre-made like character sheet that they had like for for new yep. players who were joining in. Um, every so often, I'll go online and I'll take those like personality quizzes and be like, "Oh, what D and D class are you?" and all stuff, and it keeps changing on me. But like, yeah, so I don't really know. Who like which one do I like really kind of identify with? I'd like to I'd like to think that I'm like you know a wizard or 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 something like that. <laughs> um, I, I'd like to think that um, because I'm very yeah. wizardly. Yes, of course. I main a bard, uh, and maining means that I I play a bard, and it's um, my my favorite character that I've played is called Britbrap. Uh, Brip from Brippenstein the Third, um, mm -hmm. and he um, sings uh, for his uh, instrument for his his barding, um, but he's a frogman. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. So the singing isn't that great, <laughs> but, but I he just loves it anyways, and that's all that matters, people. Exactly. As long as you love it, then it doesn't matter what other people think about your singing. He loves it, it so much, it still inspires his teammates, even though it sounds like this. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess we, we need to kind of uh, take it a little bit from the beginning to explain to our audience what exactly is therapeutically applied role-playing games. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it says in the name, but what what is it and how does it work? Like, how do you go about this? How did you find out about it, actually? Let's go there. Yeah, so that's usually the first question everybody has is like, how did you put therapy and D&D &D together? And I was like, I'm like, very, very good question. Um, so I've been playing D&D &D since 2004, uh, that was 3.5 uh, is what I started with. I don't know any 3.5 rules. I literally just started playing. Um, and because um, <laughs> people were like, oh, which one do you like better? 3.5 or 5e? And I'm like, I only know the rules for 5e. So mm. <laughs> I was just I don't playing. know any rules. I just was there and just throwing dice around. Uh, yeah. And that's the thing is, you know, you really don't need to know as long as somebody at the table knows what's going on, then you're all good. But uh, I've been playing since 2004, um, fell in love with it, you know, because it's so much fun. And then I continued to play, played a few other systems. Call of Cthulhu is one of my favorite as well. Um, it's a horror-based system. In, oh, when my son was like one or two, I found a DM that um on roll 20 which is uh by the way is a place where you can go find a game some people running games uh online um and you can join um oh, and so free? i yeah it's free some of them are paid for you have to pay for but a lot of them are free as well mm -hmm. this was a free game i jumped in it was a call of cthulhu game so uh that was a lot of fun but I've actually stayed with this DM um, and really 
kind of attribute uh, a lot of my style and success to Naomi, shout out to Naomi, for teaching me how to DM and giving me kind of the confidence to DM. You're saying DM, and that, that mm-hmm. sounds like Mucinex DM. Is that what we're yeah. going for now? We're going into cold treatment? <laughs> No, uh, DM is um, Dungeon Master. That's the person that runs the game. Um, Or you can call it a GM, which is a Game Master. Um, So if you're using other systems other than D&D, you say Game Master. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons is the the Dungeon Master. But I stuck with Naomi and we played a D&D game and it was my Brip game that I just talked about my character. And I had a little bit of social anxiety around the game because I didn't know the players in person and we were just doing voice. And sometimes I talk a lot. That's why I do a podcast because I like talking. Um, (laughs) And I I have, uh, yeah, and I have ADHD. So I was like, oh, am I talking too much? Am I, you know, do like my character? Like, I don't know, you know, and I tend to be a little bit of a chaos gremlin when I play as well. So I was really unsure and having a little bit of anxiety about, you know, whether they liked my character or not. Then we took over a ship, uh, a pirate ship, and we had to figure out who the captain was going to be. And, like, immediately everybody turned and said, Brip needs to be the captain. That kind of was a shock for me because, again, I was having these kind of doubts, this social anxiety about, you know, whether I was playing okay, whether everybody liked me, like, stuff like that. And then they turned around and was just like, Brip needs to be the captain of this ship. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you like me. Yay. (laughs) And that was probably around. 2016 or 17 and I was like you know what I, I everybody who plays Dungeons and Dragons pretty much already knows that you put your shit into your character anyway um uh and that you know anxiety comes up if you have anxieties you know stuff like that I was like this would be really good for therapy <laughs> <laughs> And so in 2017, I started looking around and there weren't a lot of resources as a experienced therapist, you know, and, you know, just as a starting off therapist, you know, do no harm is our, you know, first ethics goal. You know what I mean? Um, I didn't want to do something that I thought that nobody was talking about or doing or whatever, because I wanted to make sure it wasn't going to, you know, hurt anybody or, you know, not be good or whatever. So I kind of sat on it for a few years and then um, I found some resources. People started coming out with some um, actual modules, um, which are like the the one shot games um, where you can sit down and um, play in one session that had to do with mental health. Take This came out with one and it's called Gardens of the Fog, by the way, everybody. Uh, It has allegories in there for anxiety and depression it's uh, and they have the psychomancer is actually a um a, uh, a class that you can play in that, which is really neat. That's not oh, that sounds yeah. Like something I would like yeah psychomancer it's... magic of psyche. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm wiggling my fingers, everybody. I'm doing magic. <laughs> you have to look at the take this psychomancer. There's another psychomancer that someone else made up, and it's. 
uh, a lot different, but basically the psychomancer is the therapist in this, you know, kind of uh, 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 story. Um, it was really cool. Yeah. Um, and so in 2019, I uh, interviewed for my job at the college and in the interview, I told my boss, I looked my boss straight in the face and my coworker and said, I want to run Dungeons and Dragons therapy groups. And there was a pause. And then there was, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that Don't at you all. love it when your supervisors are supportive of you? Yes, it was very nice. And, you know, the specific college I was at, they knew that the um, students played Dungeons and Dragons a lot. So they were like, they will go for that 100%. And so that's when I started groups, was in the fall of 2019, and uh, the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> that's honestly just such a really cool story, because you you didn't know, you you didn't go into it thinking, okay, I'm going to do theory with this. You just went in, I'm going to have fun playing this game as a <laughs> frog person, uh, <laughs> and, you know, you, you felt the kind of the therapeutic benefit for yourself mm -hmm. and i honestly i feel like that's one of the reasons why people you know stick with their whatever fandom is whatever their geeky interest is whether it's dnd or anime or or whatever it's because mm -hmm. they feel validated from that community from that you know experience and definitely with role-playing games because you're interacting with other people it's kind of built in Mm -hmm. You know, that you're going to be validated by mm -hmm. another human, hopefully yeah. they're human. <laughs> or, you know, Air Kokra, a big bird person, or a giant, or whatever, you know, you never know. Exactly. <laughs> but you're getting validated. And I, I just honestly think that that's really cool. And when I first started, like, getting interested in the whole geek therapy, mm -hmm. superhero therapy, nerdy stuff... Like, I did not know about this, but everywhere I looked was mm -hmm. role-playing games. And so I was working at the psych hospital at the time, and I had, you know, I'd gone to, like, some training about superhero therapy with Dr. Scarlett, who was, I guess, on mm -hmm. the previous episode, everybody. Go listen. After I, like, put together, like, a psychoeducation group format for the hospital using the superhero therapy model... I was looking into like other things that we can do. There was a recreation therapist there who uh, played D and D, like he knew D and D, and I was like, I had just like read about mm -hmm. therapeutically applied D and D yeah. games, and so I was talking to him about it. I was like, we should totally like do a yeah. D and D group here in the hospital. Um, we didn't end up getting to do it. Um, there weren't really enough patients that were interested in it that's and, the hard part yeah uh, our supervisors were like not sure how like because it was a psych hospital people have delusions yeah. and hallucinations and you have to be very careful not to like trigger or exacerbate things and talking about orcs and magic and stuff yeah, you never yeah, know. yeah so we didn't end up doing it but i had like read about it and i thought it was really cool and it always was something that, like, I wanted to learn more about. I, I honestly don't know if I would mm -hmm. do it because I don't even know how to play the game myself. <laughs> yeah. So that would take me a while to, like, learn how to play the game, then learn how to be a, a mm -hmm. DM, 
I, I just want to learn more about it. I don't think I want yeah. to actually. It's a lot. Life. So, you know, a lot of uh, therapy modalities like superhero therapy and geek therapy do complement with currently existing mm-hmm. yes. therapy modalities like CBT and whatnot. Is there one that complements really well with uh, the role-playing games? So um, when I took my trainings with Game to Grow and Geek Therapeutics, I'm certified as a therapeutic game master. Yeah, that's a thing, guys. I am a certified therapeutic game master twice over. The main um, kind of idea that they had was, you know, whatever modality you are comfortable with, whatever modality you uh, use just for therapy, that's what you should, that's the theoretical background you should go through, whatever you're comfortable with. Um, And... While um, I tend to be more cognitive behavioral, so, you know, in this sense, what we're doing is identifying uh, therapeutic goals, mental health goals, social skills goals, Um, and something that was always frustrating for me as a therapist is going over social skills one-on-one with a client, and it's like, you know, usually people don't have any problems with social skills one-on-one once they become familiar, it's in a group, right? So like, it would always frustrate the heck out of me that I'm trying to train this person and get them to do things outside of therapy that have real world consequences. Like if somebody needs to set healthy boundaries, like if their boss is taking advantage of their time for some reason, you know, saying no, I'm not going to do this project has some very real world consequences. Just the slight ones, really. Yeah, you know. So I wanted to create a safe space where people could try out these new coping mechanisms um, in a place that didn't have real-world consequences for them um, in a group. Um, so that's um, kind of the the theoretical background I come from is, is that okay, we identify cognitive behavioral goals, different ways of thinking, different ways of acting, you know, things like that. And then you go and you practice them in the group through D&D because, again, it's all social. It's all, you know, you're on a team, you have goals, you need to work together, like all that different kind of stuff. So I'm doing more research on ACT. I'm not quite as familiar with it as uh, I'd like to be, but I'm taking uh, training on it. Uh, It seems to be very applicable as well here. So learning that more and becoming more comfortable with that uh, as well. But mainly it's whatever theoretical background you, you know, tend to be comfortable with as a therapist. For, For our listeners, ACT is Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. And it is uh, a very helpful type of therapy to help people understand and manage emotions, um, particularly anxiety and trauma. Um, It is actually a type of modality that was incorporated into the superhero therapy training that I did with Dr. Scarlett. She actually has like it kind of mentioned in her book, Superhero Therapy for Anxiety and Trauma, (laughs) which is like. A great yeah. book, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I'm just playing for Scarlet and everywhere I go. Um, I'm, 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 I'm really just a fan. Just, hey, you know. aren't we all? Yeah. 
I, I, I really like that you are kind of the thing that, well, well let me rephrase. Um, how old are your clients? Is it only for kids or can adults? Do oh this my too? gosh. So this is the question. I don't even get asked this question. People just assume that I work with kids because um, it's a game. And this is something that I am actively trying to change. It is now my life's goal to uh, change the world in this specific area where um Playing for adults is important. Um, so most of my groups have been 30-year-olds plus. Um, you know, I had my college kids play, but they were at the college I was working at, so that's why they were that age. But when I put groups together, a lot of them are 30 plus. And if you look into, and again, uh, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, or if you find something, please send it my way, research-wise. There is zero research on social skills, social interaction, and things like that from age 30 to geriatric uh, therapy. Um, like, so from age 30 to about 60 or 70, there is zero research. There's research on learning, there's research on, you know, that type of stuff, but nothing on play or social interactions or anything like that. It's really uh, sad because that people just assume that 30-year-olds know how to socialize. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm 31. <laughs> I, I'm not so great with the socializing. Yeah. Same. Um, <laughs> it's just, what? I, I have to deal yeah, with people? Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's actually interesting is there's also so uh for for our listeners i'm gonna plug my own stuff and here's my current dissertation that i'm working on is on examining the effectiveness of geek therapy modalities in building rapport with clients and as part of my literature review i was looking at all the different research that involves geeky anything mm -hmm. slash mm -hmm. therapy um, and so I, I was looking at a lot of research about role-playing games in therapy and obviously came up about social skills, but all the research was mm -hmm. with kids, was with teenagers. Yep. Like there was, I think one article about college age Yeah, students. there's a couple. Yeah. Really like all the research about using role-playing games as a social skills modality training was more for, for children and adolescents. Which is all well and good because if you train them young, then cool. But there are adults in the world right now that struggle with social skills, whether it's just an, a function of their upbringing or maybe they have, you know, just different experiences with social groups. Maybe they are, you know... Um, twice gifted, as you say, they're, you know, neurodivergent. Yeah, well, and that's, that's what um, I was going to say is, is like, there's a lot of people in their thirties and forties who are getting late diagnosis, neurodivergent diagnoses. So ADHD, you know, autism, things like that. And then there's no, there's absolutely no social skills groups or anything like that um, for, those people, those age people. And I, I'm one of those people. I got diagnosed with ADHD at 35. And so, you know, ADHD does come with some social skills, uh, 
you know, uh, <laughs> uh, things I have to work on. Um, uh, but, and there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing except for individual therapy. And again, when you're working on social skills, group is probably going to be more effective than 101, right? So um, that's also another reason why I chose to focus on adults in my private practice was because I felt like it was an area that wasn't um, being appreciated or explored very much and how important play is for me just as a person you know, playing Dungeons and Dragons or any type of board games that we have or playing with my son or, you know, whatever it is. But play, especially <laughs> with all the stuff that's been going on recently, you know, COVID, economic crises, wars, you know, all that stuff. You know, this is a way to cope. This is a way to, you know, have a little fun uh, to be able to go back out there and deal with the real world stuff. During the pandemic, you know, let, you mentioned the online role, uh, it exploded. Games. Those became massive during the pandemic. Uh, there were so many different options, you know, for people to still be able to, you know, get together and hang out and play games together. You know, if, if we can have, you know, that if we can have watch parties, we can have all these ways for us to, to still, you know, connect. Those are all adults yeah. doing that. Those weren't all yeah. kids. There, there were a lot of, I, I saw on social media, I saw on Reddit and, you know, all, Twitter and all this stuff. A lot of adults were seeking out these kinds of games, seeking out these kinds of uh, online groups to, to help them connect. Mm -hmm and socialize during the pandemic it, it is something i feel really beneficial for adults because social is social skills for adults is different than for kids mm -hmm. children and adolescents their social skills focus more on school mm -hmm. and that kind of environment which is great and definitely we want to help them learn those skills for that environment right. but if growing up the only social skills you learn is in a, is that are designed for a school-based environment. What happens when you grow up and you have to be in the workforce? And you're no longer you in school. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not in school anymore. You know, you have coworkers, you have supervisors, you have bosses, you know, you have customers, depending on, you know, what you do for mm -hmm. work. Those are a whole different type of social skill. And, Honestly, that was one thing that I struggled mm -hmm. with a lot, um, you know, when I left school and started working was how do I make friends, <laughs> make friends with my coworkers. Yeah. And I, I was able to, but like for, for a lot of people, the workplace environment can be very scary and they don't know how to be vulnerable mm -hmm. and make friends like that because it's like, oh, well, they're just my coworkers. They're not my yeah. friends. But they can be both. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I almost want to do like a and d game where the scenario is you're in a workplace <laughs> environment. Uh, <laughs> you totally could, you know, and it kind of is, you know, if you have a bounty or you have a job that your uh, your group was hired to do um, and you don't know the other characters, they all were just hired 
um, you know, to do this job, then you have to figure out how to work together, how the team works together best, how to synergize, how to work off of other people's, you know, strengths, you know, and things like that. And that's automatically built into the game. <laughs> so in addition to social skills, what other um, challenges and, and mental health uh, issues can be treated effectively um, using therapeutically applied Pretty much. Um, I haven't found a symptom from, you know, a diagnosis yet that I haven't been able to integrate. So um, anxiety, um, standing up for your, yourself and your boundaries, setting healthy boundaries, um, trauma. We don't recreate the trauma, but maybe again, that person uh, needs to be able to set healthy boundaries with friends and family and things like that. Or be able to not have to be the one in control of a situation or leading a group, uh, you know, can pull back and be kind of a secondary character when they're usually trying to to kind of take control of the group. Uh, there's anger. Yeah, I've worked with anger issues and trying to figure out how to process those. <laughs> I actually had um, my, uh, I had a NPC, a non-player character, betray uh, my person with uh, some anger stuff. And so they had to work out, you know, how they were going to handle you know, uh, this person's betrayal. At first, they just wanted to, obviously, in D&D, &D, you know, attack everything. But eventually, by the end of the game, we were able to forgive them. Not forget, but forgive them and try and bring them back into uh, that character, back to who they used to be, um, you know, as a supportive type of person. So there's all sorts of things. Um Social anxiety, I had someone play the opposite of themselves. Um, so they <laughs> played a loud, boisterous, entitled um, royalty when they, you know, you know, don't really talk that much, uh, you know, in their regular life. Um, they don't interact a lot. Um and they played this loud, boisterous uh, character to kind of try on what that feels like and how people react to it. So, and with ADHD, it's a perfect place for ADHD because when you have ADHD, right? Uh, and again, like I said, I, I have it myself. Um, you're always told that's not how we do things. You know, we like to think outside the box. We like to be creative. We like to, you know find a solution to the problem, whatever it is, and we don't necessarily have to follow procedure to do that. Um, in the outside world, that doesn't work. So you're usually told, you know, you have to do it this way. You have to fill out this paperwork. You have to do this. But in D&D, you have to be creative. You have to be, um, the more creative you are, the better fleshed out your character is and the more fun you have and so it reinforces that creativity and that, um, you know, uh, ability to think outside the box. So you can integrate it with with anything. I, I really like the uh, idea of, you know, learning this kind of problem solving skills for anger, for, you know, like social kind of environments, because 
that is something that uh, a, a lot of clients that I've worked with in the past and currently work with struggle with is it's not the mm-hmm. big problems that, yeah. that they can't solve. It's the little ones. Like, how do you react when, you know, someone, you know, you know, was holding the door open mm-hmm. for you and then they closed it before you got there? Yeah. Seems like a very minor mm-hmm. thing, but it affects people. Uh, and some people get <laughs> yep. really mad. Um, and they cast fireball. I didn't ask how big <laughs> the room was. I said I cast fireball. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> so I, I like the idea of being able to, like, allow them to explore different ways of solving these different social problems, these relationship problems. You know, one thing that I focus on a lot with uh, my clients is identifying cognitive distortions, which for our audience are basically thinking errors. These are thoughts that we have that uh, they feel good to us um, and they allow us to, to do what we probably should not do. Like if we get upset at somebody, the thinking error is, well... Uh, he mm-hmm, looks mm-hmm. at me wrong, so I'm allowed to punch him. Like, stuff like that. Yeah. Or, you know, we rationalize things, we justify, we minimize. Yeah. And that's what all humans do. Um, and But the key is learning how to, when you recognize, wait a minute, that's my mm-hmm. thinking process. Well, what else can mm-hmm. I do in this situation? Yeah. How else can I And that's react? the creativity part of D&D. Like, you... You don't want to just respond in D&D when you role play. You want to be creative. You want to, uh, that's the part I love about it. You be silly. You have, you know, one time uh, we were fighting some people in the ocean as I was Brip again. And I threw a, um, or somebody threw a trident and it stuck into the side of the boat because it had missed. And I was like, hmm, I'm a frog person and these people are all in a boat. (laughs) I'm going to flip the boat by pushing on the trident. And so I flipped the boat by pushing on the trident and got all of the bad guys in the water who had armor on. (laughs) So they just sunk to the bottom. So like, it's that's the part about it that I love is the creativity that you can have to be like, okay, this is a safe space. This is a, um, you know, not not huge consequences place. No real world consequences. How can I act differently in this moment that I would otherwise? Um, and I can do that because it's a safe space. And I can try it out. And I can try to be the person I would like to be. Or... You know, just try anything else out different than than I would in everyday life. So that's the that's the innate, you know, part of D and D is you know trying out different things, and I love it. Yeah, no, absolutely, because we want creativity and problem solving skills in life, because there's always another way that isn't readily apparent like flipping the boat by pressing on a trident um like i, I you're saying you were telling a story and i'm thinking you're okay, like the oh, there, all so right where are you going with this now. Like, yeah exactly like i could not think of the solution but in life we are always faced with problems and 
we miss <laughs> yep. when we throw yeah. our tridents. <laughs> and so we have to be creative in problem solving, um, but we also have to be able to to look at the situation and be able to be like, okay, if I respond this way, how is that going to affect the people around me? And and if there's one thing that people struggle with when they're dealing with when they're working on problem solving skills, it's that. Like, well, I did it for me. Well, yeah, cool. The, what about your family? What about your friends? Right, right. How did it affect them? Yeah. Yeah, because we we do have an impact on the world around us. And so I think that's also a really good way to give people that sense that they have influence in the world when, like you said, the world is filled with, you know, war and, you know, destruction and, and everything. Like, we feel powerless. So how do we allow ourselves to feel a sense of control in yeah, a uncontrollable yeah. environment? Yeah, and so, like, you know... uh you know, usually I also get asked, you know, besides like, um, you know, what um, theory you use as a, as a background, but like, how do you do this? Like, literally, how do you take D&D and uh, what's the process look like? Um, and uh, the way I do it, I found out to do it, especially with adults, Um uh, in my private practice is I actually have them um, identify mental health goals, social skills goals, whatever goals they want to work on, right, uh, at the table. And they know that everybody at the table is working on something, right? So it's a safe space in that sense as well. And then um, I have them create a character and keep their goals in mind while they're creating the character, like picking the class um, and the, the, uh, race that they, they're going to play. Sorry, guys, it's called a race, um, a, a species of person that they're going to play. Um, the main part that really, um, is important for my games, my therapeutically applied role-playing games is, um, taking those goals and putting them into the backstory of the character. Um, so, uh, whatever the character's motivation for adventuring is, what is what's their goals? What are they trying to do? Find a way to kind of work in your goals in those those specific instances, and then I actually take that backstory and I create the campaign. So I, you know, basically homebrew uh, an entire campaign around all group all the group members um, uh, backstories and their goals that they're working on and things like that. So, um, it's very personalized, um, to them. I don't really use a lot of, uh, pre-written stuff. Um, and then we play the game and the game itself creates opportunities that I don't, I don't recognize until we get there as well. So it's kind of, um, it's amazing to watch. It's amazing to to kind of see. Oh, I'm curious um, from a purely professional question, uh, not nerdy at all. <laughs> you you say that you use the the client's therapeutic goals into building the campaign. Like, how long does it take you to build a campaign? How do you me mesh? Because working with groups is always a challenge because you have to balance so many different issues 
So how do you blend everything into one campaign? So um, mainly what I do is I look for, I, I start with the story. I look for through lines with, uh, usually my groups are around five people. I look for story through lines or themes that are, are similar um, in um, uh, each person's backstory. Um, and then I, uh, will go through and be like, okay, well, um, like one campaign was like, okay, there's a, and this is just the story base, not anything clinical. Um, there were a lot of, um, missing kids in the history of these characters. And I was like, okay, well, why are there so many missing kids you know, or kids that disappeared or whatever. And so I used that to create the storyline, the main storyline of the campaign. Um, and then, you know, created opportunities within that campaign setting for each one of the characters. So I just sit down and I look at it and just be like, okay, like, how does this, how do these fit together story-wise? And then once I write the story, um... Each encounter I'll write, I'll sit down and I'll either spotlight one of my care my players. Um, so it I'll make that that uh, encounter about their their backstory specifically, and create opportunities for them to make choices and you know use those different skills and things like that um, within the the encounter. So I come up with the overarching arc. Uh, of the campaign through their backstories. I come up with three mini arcs uh, and then I come up with the encounters specifically for each person um, as they move along the campaign. That sounds like a lot of work. It is a lot of work. <laughs> so I actually, and I've been kind of uh, you know, it's not perfect yet, uh, perfecting the system. Um, at first, uh, I used pre-written stuff and it went okay because I would let them add things into it and I would create opportunities and things like that. Um, and then I did the homebrew thing. Um, but I did the homebrew thing week by week because I was like, I'm not going to know where these people are going, like, you know, in the story or whatever. Um, and then um, this time around, <laughs> I'm, I uh, gave myself uh, about a month. I got everybody to give me their backstories um, a month out and give me some time to be able to write the campaign and the, the encounters and things like that. Now, are those encounters going to stay the same? Probably not. They're going to shift because as a DM, you know, DM or anybody that runs a role-playing game knows that, yeah, kind of have to follow the characters. It's it's group storytelling, so they may not end up where you want them to end up. So you have to adjust. Um, but uh, like writing all those um, the main bones out, um, and then um following the characters wherever they end up and the the players wherever they end up it is a lot of work <laughs> but it's so much fun <laughs> i mean it, it it's definitely work but it also sounds like you're you're there's that saying you know if you you love what you do then you're not doing work right exactly 
And I mean, it is hard work. And I do, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, oh, you know, I need a break. That's why I built in that month. Because I was like, okay, I can't be doing this every week, you know. Um, And then, um, you know, while you're at the table and you're playing the game, anybody that's been a GM or a DM um, knows that it's complicated enough because you've got to remember the rules and the monsters and the hit points and who's going where and maps and, you know, all the things that you have to do as a GM. And then you have to add the therapy into it, right, into the encounter. So you have to make sure you do that pre-work. Um, and then you have to be on your toes, you know, if you see an opportunity pop up as the players are playing, utilizing that opportunity to help them kind of respond and process and use it as an opportunity to practice whatever goal they're trying to do. So it's, it is a lot of moving parts and then trying to run the business at the same time (laughs) and have individual clients on top of it. So (laughs) uh, sounds like a a whole campaign just to to plan the campaign and everything. Yeah, yeah. And that's the other thing that I really um, want to establish for my program specifically is, um, you know, coming to group, but also coming to individual therapy with one of the therapists that's sitting at the table helping the campaign. So I'd like to have two therapists. Um, right now it's me and my intern, my um, uh, health and human services intern. Um, and that they have been a, ugh, a blessing. Cause it, again, like this is a lot of work. Um, and then having individual therapy on top of it once a week with one of those therapists to process what happens in group, you know, has it been helping? How do we shift if we need to? What is your growth arc for your character? What is your growth arc? How do we make them similar? Like, you know, and then the everyday stuff that you do in individual therapy. So it doesn't have to be all about D&D. So um, that's kind of how I see it running in the future is kind of as a program once a week, you go to individual therapy and then once a week you have group, um, so that you just get the full, um, you know, benefits out of both individual and group. And as I think we, we did mention in previous episodes that, you know, the therapy can, it can be, you know, beneficial when you're doing different things like you know individual plus group or in you know or therapy plus medication you know there's always ways to kind of expand the experience um and this sounds like just a fantastic way to expand therapy to a whole new level um and so i i really want to thank you for for sharing with us your expertise uh, and nerding out with us about D and D and role playing game <laughs> therapy. Um, yep. So that I think will be where we end this episode. But um, this is a perfect opportunity for you to plug your company. Yeah, I was gonna Go say. Um, <laughs> so-
so uh, we usually do the plugs at the end of the podcast. Um, you um, can find me at Nat Twenty Therapy. Um, so N A T Twenty Therapy um, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, my website is www.nat20therapy.com. Um, and, uh, my email is info at nat20therapy.com. So you can see the, you know, the running thing there. Um, my actual, my company's actual name is Nerd Adventure Therapy 20, um, which, you were talking about the Nat 20s uh, first off here, which abbreviates to Nat 20, and that's the whole reason why I did it. <laughs> that's a perfect reason. Roll a Nat 20 in life. <laughs> and um, for, for any listeners who might be close to you, what areas do you serve? Yeah, so um, right now I'm just licensed in Maryland. I'm hoping that the um, social work con... Um, uh, oh gosh, what is that called? The uh, social work contract goes through with compact goes through um, some other states. So I might be able to do virtual um, at, uh, in other states, but right now it's just Maryland um, area and my groups are in person. So um, I'm around the BWI area, the Baltimore, Washington International um, uh, Airport Um and uh, that's where uh, my office is. So if you're around that area and you're interested, you know, go to my website, fill out the interest form. I'll be there. <laughs> finger guns. <laughs> you finger all can't guns. see the finger guns. <laughs> the finger guns mean she means business. That's right. <laughs> well, um, I will uh, just plug this podcast just please follow us on facebook uh and twitter uh at mhq podcast mhq capital p podcast on facebook and twitter you can email us if anyone has any questions or suggestions for future episodes uh you can email us at mentalhealthquest1 at gmail.com uh, and i'm thinking we should probably create a, an instagram also but we can get to that another yeah. time <laughs> um, it couldn't be too difficult but for now Facebook, Twitter please like and review us on iTunes or whatever like, review, follow really all the things to reach new people mm -hmm. and new listeners so please rate, review share us with your friends uh, and we look forward to talking next time yay enjoy your quests quests <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Also, that's the reason why our podcast is called Mental Health Quest because of our DMD stuff. Quests. <laughs> Who wants quests? Quests. <laughs> All right, everybody. See ya. Bye.